You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, you grab that and go with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And if you're thinking, man, look, Dylan's got on shorts today. Buddy, he's taking advantage of this Father's Day thing, isn't he? It's not that. My AC has been out in my house this week. So look, you're lucky I'm wearing a shirt, all right? I'm just going to tell you. So just deal with the shorts. It's going to be okay. All right. God's Word, John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible today. There are stacks of hardback Bibles on those tables in the back of the room. Take one now or take one on your way out of worship. That's our gift to you with no strings attached. Just start reading that Bible and see what happens in your life. And if you don't know your way around the Bible that well, don't worry, all the verses we're going to study today will appear on the screen so you can follow along with us. If you're willing and able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. So listen carefully to these words in John chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. On Sunday mornings, we have been asking really just one question, and that question is, what is an evangelical? What is an evangelical? Now, that term evangelical has become ubiquitous in recent years. You hear it a lot. You see it in the news. You see this person claimed to be an evangelical, and that person accused of being an evangelical because of certain priorities or whatever. But what do we, what do we really mean by this term? Much of what goes by the name evangelical these days is really better called evangelifish because there's no doctrinal solidity. There's no missional spine, no backbone. It's just this political, pulpy mass. Well, at Faith Church, we are a part of the evangelical Presbyterian Church. So what do we mean here when we say that we are evangelicals? We mean at least four things. We mean that we are Bible people, gospel people, born-again people, and Great Commission people. For the past few weeks, we've been looking at one of these qualities, one of these marks each week. And today we come to the third one, which certainly is the most difficult to comprehend, difficult to understand, especially if you don't have a church background. Born again people. We believe that people can be born again. That's a bizarre concept, right? So let's study the concept this morning. Let's look in John chapter 3, and as we do so, we're going to ask three questions about this concept, this bizarre concept, to be born again. We're going to ask these questions. First, how important is it? 
Second, what is it? And third, how do we receive it? So how important is it? What is it? And how do we receive it? Let's look at this story in John chapter 3. First, how important is it? Read again these verses with me. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So this concept, this bizarre concept of being born again, it's developed within the context of a narrative, a story, a real-life encounter between Jesus and this man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he's curious. Now, as John's gospel has been developing, we're here in chapter 3, if we look back a chapter or so, we see that Jesus has been performing signs, miracles. He's been doing things to get people's attention. For example, he went to a wedding. And when he was at the wedding, he turned water into wine. Now let me just say this. If your impression of Jesus is that Jesus is the type of guy who's just a killjoy, then you haven't really been reading the Bible. You've got a bad impression of Jesus because Jesus is the type of person who goes to the wedding and says, there's not enough wine here. We need more wine. We need better wine. And then miraculously, he provides it. So don't take other people's words for who Jesus is. Don't listen to the politicians or the celebrities. Investigate Jesus for yourself. Read the Gospel of John for yourself. You should be curious about him, just as Nicodemus is here. Jesus is trending. Everybody's talking about him because of what he did at that wedding. And so Nicodemus, one of the curious folks, comes to find Jesus. He wants to investigate him for himself. Now, not only is he curious, though, it seems that Nicodemus didn't really want other people to know about his curiosity. Maybe he was afraid of what people would think of him if he went asking questions around this guy Jesus. But we know he was sort of secretive about his curiosity because he comes to Jesus by night. In the dark of night, he goes to see him. And not only that, it was probably a dark and stormy night, which just adds to the drama of this encounter. But later in the passage, we'll see Jesus talk about wind. He pulls the wind as an object lesson for a point he wants to make. So this was probably a dark and stormy night. And Nicodemus, in his curiosity, trying to conceal his curiosity, he goes to Jesus to ask some questions. And we know a few other things about Nicodemus. He was curious. We also know he was a religious man because he's called a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the theological conservatives of their day. They believed the Old Testament was the Word of God and that it contained a code of ethics that was to be followed, strictly observed. So not only is Nicodemus a curious man, he's an ethical man. He's an ethical man. And if he was a Pharisee, he was an intellectual figure. In today's terms, he would have been a professor. So he's an ethical man and he's a highly educated man. And then we're given one other detail here. He was a ruler of the Jews, a member of the Jewish council, which means he was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the highest national uh, group. You can think of it like this. The Sanhedrin combined all of what we think of as our government today. So in other words, Nicodemus was a political man. He was curious about Jesus. He was an ethical man, highly educated, and a man of great political interest and political involvement. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, 
We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs, these miracles, unless God is with him. Interestingly, Nicodemus hasn't really asked a question yet, has he? He comes to Jesus as if he's thinking, Jesus, who are you? I've heard about these signs you do. You must be from God, but who exactly are you? But he hasn't yet asked the question. And yet somehow Jesus knows his thoughts because Jesus provides the answer to the question he hasn't yet asked. Jesus answers, Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I see, Nicodemus comes to Jesus with this question bouncing around in his mind, Jesus, who are you? Who are you? And Jesus seizes the opportunity to teach Nicodemus something about who he is and what he came to do. But first, Nicodemus must understand who he is. He must understand who he is. And so Jesus begins the conversation with, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So whatever this means to be born again, it's important. Because according to Jesus, you can't see the kingdom of God without it. And by kingdom of God, he means the eternal kingdom. The everlasting life that God provides. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's helping Nicodemus understand, maybe for the first time in his life, that as accomplished as this man was, he was a man of great accomplishment, great political involvement, great education, all of these things, an all-around impressive man, as impressive as he was, he didn't have the one thing that mattered the most. He needed to be born again. So whatever this is, being born again, how important is it? It's of the utmost importance. According to Jesus, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot possess eternal life without it. So what is it? What is it? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Nicodemus was just like, Many of us are this morning. He's thinking to himself, this makes no sense. How can a grown man be born? See, Nicodemus is thinking of a physical process. And in essence, he says, been there, done that. Like, I was born a long time ago. What are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus helps him understand that he's not talking about a physical process, but a spiritual process. As Nicodemus has been born physically, he must be born spiritually. But even that is still a little bit confusing, isn't it? So what do we mean by born spiritually? Well, let's just start with this. What is birth? What is birth? We just saw all these children up here being baptized this morning, right? What is birth? It's a beginning. It's a beginning. To be born again or to be born spiritually is to have a new beginning, a decisive inner transformation that comes from above. Look at what Jesus says in verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, this language that he uses here is reminiscent of the Old Testament. The prophets in the Old Testament, they foresaw a day when the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, would be poured out on people, transforming people from within, cleansing our hearts. 
So this is an inner transformation, and it comes from above. It comes from the Spirit. In fact, earlier in verse 3, when Jesus says, you must be born again, the word he uses can mean again, but it can also mean from above. You must be born from above. So what does it mean to be born spiritually, to be born again? It's inner transformation that comes from above. See, Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus, this very impressive man. He's trying to help him realize that the problem is inside. The problem is inside. And the help must come from outside of us. Now, what, why can I say that the problem is within? Well, in biblical terms, we know that our hearts and our natural state and our non-born-again state, our hearts are rebellious. They're selfish. We seek our own glory. We seek our own interests. We don't love others. In biblical lingo, our hearts are sinful. I gave you this illustration last week to help you get the point of what it means to have a sinful heart. I talked about the uh, example from literature, Robert Louis Stevenson's classic, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Jekyll, he looks great on the outside. Virtuous. He was the quintessential gentleman. I mean, he's Nicodemus. He's well-mannered. He's well-educated. He's a doctor for crying out loud. But within him is a monster. It's caged, but it can't be contained forever. The fact that Jekyll is a doctor in that story is a profound irony when you think about it. He can solve a number of problems. He can help a number of ailments, but he can do nothing to cure the sickness of his own heart. The monster is there, caged but not contained forever. Now let me give you two more examples to make sure we get this point. Now we'll go not from literature, we'll go from nature. Picture an apple tree. What can you and I do to an apple tree to make it produce peaches? Not a thing, right? It's not, it's not within my power. Now I can care for an apple tree, prune the branches and all of that, but caring for an apple tree is only going to lead to larger and more, what? Apples. That's all you get. As apple trees produce apples, sinful hearts produce sinful thoughts, words, and deeds. And here's one more picture for you. Now I want you to picture a cow and a lion you with me? You didn't think you were going to have to do this this morning, did you? Come to church to picture a cow and a lion? You never know what you're going to get around here. Cow and a lion, pile of hay, and a pile of meat. Picture that. Now, if that cow sees the pile of hay and the pile of meat, which one is he going to eat? Pile of hay, every time. Every time. If the lion sees the pile of hay and the pile of meat, which one is he going to eat? Pile of meat. Unless he also sees the cow, and then he's probably going to eat that. But that kind of messes up my analogies. So let's pretend that doesn't happen, okay? He's going to eat the pile of meat every time. Why? Because it's in his nature. It's the nature of the beast, you see? You and I, in our natural, non-born-again state, we crave sinful things. Because our hearts are sinful. The problem is inside us, and the help 
must come from outside us. See, Christianity offers you so much more than behavior modification because the problem goes deeper than our behavior. Christianity offers you inner transformation that comes from above. The transformation of your heart, your very nature, your deepest you, and thus the transformation of your entire life. The way you treat others, the way you treat your family, the way you treat your neighbors, the way you treat your enemies, all of it. Being born again, it's a decisive change. It's permanent and it's noticeable. It doesn't wear off and it does show up. One of my favorite illustrations of this, if you've been around a while, you've heard this story, comes from the 4th century philosopher named Augustine. Augustine wrote a sort of spiritual autobiography called Confessions, and he admits in this book that when he was a student, he was a slave of lust. He lived a very, very promiscuous life. Well, then he became a believer, and God changed his heart. Well, one day, after he had been changed, he sees a woman with whom he formerly had a very intense physical relationship. He sees her walking his way, And he just keeps walking. And the woman begins to think to herself, well, maybe he just didn't notice me. Because, of course, she was expecting things to pick up right where they had left off before. She thinks, maybe he just didn't didn't see me. So she shouts out from the streets, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine turns and looks at her and he says, I know, but it is not I. It is not I. Now, for a born-again Christian, that's a fair statement to make. It's a fair statement to make. Augustine wasn't schizophrenic. He hadn't forgotten who she was. God had changed his heart. And thus, his life, it's inner transformation that comes from above. That's what it means to be born again. So now, how do we get it? How do we receive it? We've got to ask that question in closing. Let's keep reading in this passage. Verse 7, Jesus says, Do not marvel that I said to you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, the point that Jesus is making here is that this inner transformation that comes from above, that comes from the Holy Spirit, it's something we can't control. He uses the analogy of the wind here. The wind blows where it wishes. We can see the effects of the wind, right? But you and I can't control the wind. Man, I wish I could control the wind this past week with the AC out of my house. I would love to control the wind. We just can't do it, can we? It's not within our power. So this this concept of being born again, this inner transformation, is something that we all need and that none of us can control. So then how do we receive it? Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Poor Nicodemus, he still just doesn't really understand. Jesus I don't don't get it. If this is something I need but I can't control, how can these things be? This born-again life, how do I get it? How do I receive it? Jesus' answer is very simple. Nicodemus, you must look up. You must look up. See, if it's inner transformation that comes from above, then it makes perfect sense that we must look up in order to receive it. Notice here what Jesus says, his final words in this conversation. 
He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Look up, Jesus says. Now, now to get what he's talking about, to understand this, we need to think back to a very strange story in the Old Testament. It's contained in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Let me tell you the story very quickly because it's important. God's people, the Israelites, were traveling through the desert. God had rescued his people. He had shown his provision and his power and his faithfulness to them. They knew the faithfulness of God, but as they begin to journey through the desert, they start to doubt God. The desert can wreak havoc on the human body. And so in the drought of the desert, there, there develops this drought in the people's souls. And so what they start to do is they start to cry out against God and against Moses, their earthly leader. And so here's what God does. God sends fiery serpents, poisonous snakes, among the people. This is like, you know, the scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Down into the snakes, snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Snakes everywhere. Why in the world would God do that? Here's what happens when the snakes show up. The people remember. See, the desert had brought on this sort of theological amnesia. They had forgotten the faithfulness of God. They had forgotten the power of God. The snakes show up, and all of a sudden, they snap out of it, and they remember. And they begin to cry out to Moses, Moses, pray to God. We believe he is powerful. We know he can save us from this mess. Pray to God. And so Moses does. And here's what God said. He said, Moses, I want you to create a bronze serpent. And I want you to put it on a pole. And raise the pole in the middle of the Israelite camp. And anyone who has been bitten by a snake and who looks at that bronze serpent, he will be healed. So what is God doing? He's providing a way of healing, a way of life, albeit a strange one. You see that in the story, right? It's a strange one because the way of death, the instrument of death, the snake, has become the way to life. Look at this bronze serpent, and if you've been bitten by the snake, all the poison within you will be sucked out. Now, Jesus uses that Old Testament story, and look at what he says. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, that's Jesus, so must Jesus be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, God has provided a way of life, a way of healing, a way of eternal life, albeit a strange one, because the instrument of death The cross, the cross has become the way of life. Jesus is lifted up on the cross, willingly taking the punishment for our sin, the penalty for our sin. And now all who look to him in faith, believing in him, will be transformed from within. We'll receive this inner transformation, this salvation, everything in our lives will be changed What Jesus is trying to teach Nicodemus and what he's trying to teach you and me today is that the problem is so deep within our hearts that there's only one who can suck out the poison. And it's Jesus. He was lifted up on the cross, crucified and died for us. 
He was raised and then lifted up to heaven. From heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit, the one who brings this new life to us. So don't you see, if you've just been trying to modify your behavior, you've been trying to do all these external exercises and things, that's no different than pruning the branches of the apple tree. Peaches are not going to suddenly show up. What you need is a change in your heart that will result in a change in your entire life. Jesus is the one who can suck out all the poison. He can give you a new life. Look to him in faith and live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus so long ago. It's a reminder for all of us that even if we look good on the surface, apart from you, our hearts are rebellious and they are in need of transformation. God, we thank you for your son Jesus, who was lifted up on the cross, who was lifted up into heaven, who sends the Holy Spirit to transform us, to work within, to get to the heart of the problem. I pray that if there's anyone here today who's just been trying to work on their life and trying to fix it in their own way, that they'll see that what they really need is Jesus. And for those of us who are your followers, Lord, I pray that you will continue to develop us as your people. We desire to show your love to others, to share your truth. So we ask you to give us more and more opportunities to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.